Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Grace and peace to you uh, this morning of All Saints Day, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, who raises people from the dead. Amen. Uh, as we were celebrating this All Saints Day, I, I was talking with a good friend of mine, and uh, she was telling me about something that happens in Poland for All Saints Day. Now, All Saints Day is kind of a big deal um, in certain areas of the world, especially in certain areas of in, in uh, Europe, especially uh, Poland, uh, where there's, there's this great kind of energy around it. It's, you could almost say it's as big as Halloween, <laughs> where we have lots and lots of memories uh, as kids dressing up for Halloween and going and trick-or-treating. Um, there's another tradition in the world uh, that might hold a little bit more gravity. I'll show you a few pictures from this. Um, uh, the tradition in Poland is that on All Saints Day in the evening, or maybe the day before, you would go out to the grave of someone who had died in the faith and thank God for them uh, by commemorating their life and uh, lighting a candle about that. And this is a tremendous um, event that happens. You can see it kind of gets bigger and bigger. And I was struck by the scope of this tradition. I mean, you can imagine kind of the parade of people going out um, to do this. Here's a, a large cemetery outside of a Polish city. You can see all the graves are lit up. And as I looked at this, it kind of struck me that um, I don't necessarily in my life, I don't have these kinds of memories, and maybe I don't have a full understanding of what it means to be a saint or what it means to be within the communion of saints, like we say in our creed. And so, as we, see, as we look into the scriptures today, and we'll be spending our time in Revelations chapter 7, if you want to open up to that, as we look at this, I want to try to recapture some of this meaning. I want to look at this vision that John the Apostle has in the book of Revelation, and I want to notice two different pictures that he has uh, that he sees. The one is the church uh, militant, the church at war, of which we are now a part. And the second is the church at rest. And I want you uh, to begin to bring into your heart and into your mind the reality that you are a part of these pictures. Uh, in Revelation 7, the word revelation comes from the word apocalypse. Um, and apocalypse is kind of a scary word for us, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be scary. It just means an unveiling. And so here we have two pictures, and, and the Apostle John is noticing the church, and it's as if something has been unveiled in front of him, that he could see clearly what the spiritual realities are uh, that we exist in. And so 
it would be like if you suddenly were revealed God, this image of what God is really doing, and you could see all of the spiritual things that are happening and the future. This is kind of the image that uh, the Apostle John has. And the first thing, that, the first picture that we see, uh, John is, is brought to this image where he sees an angel ascending as from the rising sun. This is in verse 2. And he has the seal of the living God, and he calls with a loud voice to the other four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. And he says, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so first thing we see is there's a group of people, and they're arranged as 144,000, and they have... That God is actively protecting them. That God has sent his angel out uh, to withhold judgment, to withhold destruction from the earth until these people who are arranged for his purposes uh, have been sealed on their foreheads. And so what this really should remind us of is, first of all, of God's protection of his people and the way that he seals into us his spirit and his will. Uh, the first time that happened for you in, in your life was at your baptism, most likely, when the, the sign of the cross is marked upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one who had been redeemed by Christ the crucified. But God has been at this in your life, your whole life. He's been sealing with his Holy Spirit his presence into you. He has been working through his word so that you might know him so that you might be strong. He's been sealing his faith upon you. And until he does this for the whole church on earth, uh, he is withholding with patience. He is withholding judgment from the earth for our sake. And so let's look at these people that he is protecting. There's 144,000 of them, and they're arranged in groups of 12,000. So one thing you need to know here is that this is not a literal number but rather a symbolic number of completeness. Twelve is the symbol of completeness. It's a number of God's completeness. Here we have twelve times twelve thousand. And so it's a number of a total completeness. The other thing we should notice here is that they're arranged in a military formation. And it's just like when God sent his people into the promised land to take possession of it. They were arranged and in a military sequence, 12 different tribes giving people a thousand each to go into this conquest. And so what we see is this picture of the church militant, right? The- theologians over time have called this the church militant. And it's a picture of you and me now. It's a picture of the church that is struggling on earth, that they're arranged for the sake of the gospel like, like a military force, And so the first thing we should think about is to understand, do you see yourself in this picture? Do you see yourself as part of the church militant, right? That you are in an army, that you're to be trained for the sake of a spiritual battle. I think a lot of us don't think about ourselves in the church this way. I know I haven't many times in my life that I've just thought of the church as kind of an extracurricular add-on, right? as something that maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, maybe I make it, maybe I don't. But I haven't thought about it in this way that much for that many years of my life that I have been called into a battle. 
I have been called into a platoon. I am called to stand up beside my brothers and sisters in Christ, aligned for God's purposes, orchestrated for the sake of a spiritual battle. I think if we thought about our spiritual lives this way, it would transform the way we understood church. It would transform the way that we understood training our young people to be strong in the Lord. It would transform the way we interacted with one another as we're called to get each other's backs, to care deeply for one another as brothers and sisters. Ephesians 6 gives us the same kind of picture. This is not a new picture of the church's warriors. St. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. The picture of the church that we have that is on earth in the scriptures is one of an army, a standing army. Those who are resisting an evil authority, those who are resisting evil. Uh, when children are baptized, Martin Luther said, when, when you baptize a child, it's like you're hanging a lifelong enemy around their necks. Because who does the devil want to attack? He wants to attack God's people. He wants to tear down God's work in the church. And so we must be ready for this. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that there is no neutral territory in all creation, that every square inch and every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And so the first picture that we see, that we should see ourselves a part of, is a, is a picture of uh, military conquest. We hold firm to the Lord Jesus Christ. We put armor on ourselves, and we expect a battle. We expect attacks. We expect to have to recover and encourage one another. Uh, so it's a picture of vigilance. It's a picture of holding fast. But it's also a gift, right? Wouldn't it be terrible if you were facing these great enemies alone? And so the picture is that you are protected by God and also or organized by God for his purposes in this conquest. We know from the scriptures, it says that the gates of hell are not going to destroy the church. God will, God will protect his church that is built on the, the confession of Christ, and no gates of hell are going to overcome it. And so it's a great gift to us that we are together in the church with brothers and sisters next to us that get our back, that battle with us, that pull us out of the flames if necessary. Uh, any war movie fans? Some war movie junkies out there, I know. But the best war movies, if you think about it, are not the ones with the biggest explosions, and they're not the ones with the over-the-top over feats of strength, you know, like Rambo or something like that. But the best war movies, the most moving, the most grabbing, are those movies that show the love between the soldiers. Am I right? The best war movies are the ones that show the sacrifice 
that the soldiers have for one another and for their country. Um, and so they fight and they die, yes, for the country, but they also fight and die so that their brother in arms can make it back home. And that really is what drives these, these great war movies. And there's always that kind of classic scene in a lot of these movies where uh, there's a group of soldiers standing around and all of a sudden a grenade comes into the middle of them. And there's that awkward moment where they're not sure and everyone has maybe a, a moment of panic and fear. And then someone steps up, right? Someone falls on that grenade. Someone sacrifices their body and their life so that the shrapnel doesn't hit the rest, so that those other people don't lose limbs, so that they get to go home. It's a powerful picture. Do you know that the Bible says, this is what Jesus did for you, right? That Jesus, your brother, he took a grenade for you. He took the explosion. He took the consequence, the danger, the violence. The Bible says that he became sin so that you might be the righteousness of God. He took those wounds upon himself so that you could go home freely. And this is a wonderful picture of the gospel, what it means to be loved by God. And in 1 John 3, it says this. He says, he, Jesus, laid down his life for you. He says, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Do you see that? It's in the same breath. It says, this is what Jesus has done for you, and so therefore, in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for the Lord himself, you too get to lay down your life. You get to be the one looking for the grenade. You get to be the one willing to serve and willing to sacrifice for the work of the church. What a radically different way to think about what we're doing here today. Uh, in November of 1414, a few years ago now, November of 1414, uh, a council, a church council was called, called the Council of Constance. And at that council a man named Jan Hus was called to testify uh, before the church council by uh, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. And he promised to Jan Hus that at, when he came, he would, he would be safe, that he would be given an opportunity to express uh, his views on the scriptures. But when he went, when he arrived, he found that he was immediately arrested and thrown into prison for months and instead of getting a hearing in front of the church council, instead he was eventually hauled before the authorities in chains and asked to merely recant his views. You see, Jan Hus had been excommunicated from the church for two reasons. The first reason was he was preaching from the Word of God. How dare he? Uh, he was preaching from the Bible that had recently been re, uh, retranslated by a man named Wycliffe. And so he was preaching according to this, and also he was criticizing one of the popes at the time. Yes, there were two popes at the time. Uh, but one of the popes was using indulgences to raise money to wage a personal political war. And he couldn't stand by that. And so he was continually preaching against the pope, which doesn't make you popular. And at, by extension, uh, he was excommunicated. 
But here he thought he was going to get an opportunity to express what he said from the scriptures, but he got no such opportunity. They merely threw him into prison. And finally, a a year later, after being in prison for a year, he was dragged in front of uh, the cathedral and all the priests and the church authorities, and one by one, he was stripped of his priestly garments. And he said this, knowing that he would not get a fair hearing. He said, I appeal to Jesus Christ, the only judge who is almighty and completely just. In his hands I plead my cause, not on the basis of false witnesses and erring counsels, but on truth and justice. Of course, they found him guilty, and they um, scooped together some wood and tied him to a stake to burn him. In fact, has anyone heard the phrase, your goose is cooked? Actually came from this event because uh, John, or Jan Huss's last name sounds like the word for goose in, in the Czech language. And so your goose is cooked is referring to what happened. But as he was staring down the reality that he would be burned in the flames uh, for trying to stay true to the Lord, Uh, He prayed this, Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee to have mercy on my enemies. And he could be heard reciting the Psalms as the flames engulfed him. You have been called into a church that is at war. This life, you should expect opposition to the true gospel. Sometimes it'll even be within the church. It'll be within your heart. It'll be in the world. But look who you have been called to stand beside. One of the encouragements when we hear stories like this is we see that he was not going to give it up no matter what, was he? He was going to stand and face the flames. And if he can do that in faith, can we face our struggles? Uh, Can we hold fast to the word of God even when our family members ridicule us for it? Can you stand up to all the pressures and all the, the temptations of Satan in your heart? Because we see the evidence of what it looks like to live a life faithful to God even unto death. It gives us courage when we see his courage. We are not people who think that the apostles of Christ all died for nothing. We're not people who think that all of the saints who have gone before us, who have died for the faith and shown us, they died for something. They died so that we might hold on to the faith, so that the scriptures might get into our hands, so that we might be saved by the same gospel that saved them. And because of this, we are encouraged when we see the faith of those saints. And so, Do you see yourself standing in the ranks of God's church? What is tempting you today? Are you isolated and weak like many of us during this virus? Are you being harassed and torn apart by the temptations of Satan, your own sinful desires? Are these lies of Satan beginning to sound eerily convincing in your your mind? You need to look to the church around you, both living and who have died, and say, they stood up and so will I. They persevered and so will I. They have shown me a way. 
a way of faith in Christ, and so will I. In this picture of the church, it is a picture of perseverance. It's a picture of suffering. It's a picture of warfare, and you are in that picture today. Uh, The second picture that St. John gets to see is the picture of the church at rest. The first one was the picture of the church at war. This next one is the picture of the church in victory or the church triumphant. And it says in verse 9 of this image, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, from all, or every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne, the elders and the living creatures, when they hear this worship, they fall down on their faces and they join and they say, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. When one of the crowd, one of the elders comes and talks to John, he says, Who are these people? Where do they come from? John says, I don't know, but you know, sir. And the elder says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Beautiful. And this picture is this church that has conquered. This church that has no more fear. This church that has no more pain. This church that is no longer battling the forces of darkness, rather they are enjoying the victory that their God has brought. And what has brought them to that victory? What has steeled them and taken them through the great tribulation? It is the robes that they wear that have been dipped in the blood of the Lamb. And you can kind of see this picture, can't you? It's like if you just imagine a a perfectly white robe, right? You can just imagine... Uh, On that robe, it's all of the terrible things you have done and said and thought. All of those places where you you were lazy. All of those places where you were lustful. All of those places where uh, you just didn't care about someone else. All of those things that, that tear us down and condemn us. And they're soiled all over this robe. And then you can imagine uh, dipping it down into this vat of blood and as it comes up it's perfectly clean it's perfectly spotless now it reminds us of what saint paul says in ephesians that christ loved his church and he laid down his life for her having cleansed her with the washing of the water with the word so that he might present himself a bride perfect and spotless this is what the church uses to overcome. We don't battle with weapons. We don't pull out our swords or our guns, but we battle in mercy. We come consistently again and again to the waters of baptism where, where Christ washes us again of our sins. We come in to the table where we say, look, I did it again this week. I need your refreshment. I need your forgiveness. And he gives it to us. And this is the vehicle by which we overcome. Jeremy Camp, a, uh, a, a Christian artist, he says, he's got a great song. It says, we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the strength of our testimony. 
that one day we will be among this crowd, this countless number of people who are praising God from every tribe and every nation. And do you see yourself in that picture too? For as surely as Christ himself was raised from the dead, all who trust in him and wash their robes in his blood will stand on the last day with him. We will stand in glory and righteousness and joy forever and ever. And not just you, but all those people who have trusted, all those people who have believed, all those people who have fought through the temptations of this age. And so when we look at this picture, we see ourselves there. We see this great encouragement to hold on. And we know of people who are there already, You see, for you and me, we struggle, don't we? Every day we're struggling in different ways. Those people who have died in the faith and they're with the Lord today, they're not struggling. They're not. They have what you don't have. They have by sight the promises of God in front of them. And therefore, they don't need faith anymore because they have it by sight. You and me, however, We need faith. We need to trust. We need to test ourselves against God's word. We need to hold on to one another because God has called us together to walk forward to that glorious future where we will be reunited with all those saints. But today is a day of fighting. Today is a day of work and struggle and suffering. But it's temporary. Uh, Jesus says in the Gospels to us today, he reminds us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. He reminds us that those who mourn right now in this age, they will be comforted. And it's a will, right? He said, blessed are you if people are persecuting you for the sake of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you now if you're struggling because one day there will be a great reversal. And so the blessing is for you today as you struggle, as you look forward to this. But one day, that struggle will not be there. One day, Jesus will wipe away the tears from your eyes. One day, you will see in glory all the things you've longed for by faith. And this is what gives us great strength, great comfort. Uh, In this picture, we see a picture of our future, and it gives us strength as we walk in this life as the church militant. Uh, The great hymn for all the saints captures this really well. It says, But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The King of glory passes on his way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Two encouragements as we end. Uh, The first is, find a way this week, today, tomorrow, this week sometime, to remember those saints who have gone before you. Do you have a friend, a mentor who has died in the faith? Remember them. Thank God for them. Maybe light a candle. Go visit their grave. Make it something that is deeply entrenched in your way of thinking. If they're still alive, why don't you call them? Say thank you. Spend more time with them and get close to them. And the second encouragement is know that you are someone that others are looking to as well. 
that you are someone that you can encourage your brothers and sisters that you're walking alongside with. And so look for those opportunities. Look for opportunities to encourage those people who are on your left and on your right in the church militant. Look for opportunities to speak the words of God to them, to encourage them with the future that is already theirs in Christ Jesus and hold fast to the word of God. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself preserve us and protect us by his spirit until that great day when we see him face to face. Amen.